Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to Episode 41 of Season 2. B is for bringing it all back home in Cancer Season, where I will talk about the archetype of the astrological sign of Cancer, play some music with Cancerian themes from musicians who were born during Cancer Season, and then talk about some of those tunes, why they fit into this podcast, as well as a bit of nostalgic indulgence as I share an experience of seeing one of these bands in the 1990s when they were at the peak of their powers. Before we get into the episode, the music we are hearing now deserves a special note for a few reasons. First and foremost, while it has certainly not been my intent, If you go back and listen to the songs I've used for this series on the astrological signs, starting with Libra season last fall, well, besides that very first episode, every band and musician I've played has been mostly male. Now, if you were to listen to playlists I've made over the past decade of new songs I'm digging, you'd hear a heck of a lot more female musicians than male ones. So the male dominance is more of a nod to my former musical tastes than where I'm at now. Regardless, we are listening to a band I've loved since I was a little kid, and that is Blondie, led by the charismatic Deborah Harry. And Miss Harry was born on July 1st, 1945. Of course, I'm not playing a Blondie tune as a standalone, so maybe I'm still not giving the ladies their time in the spotlight. However, I thought that by putting this tune up front, I would be addressing the issue as best as I possibly can. And, not to worry, there will be more female musicians with full songs selected in our final two signs, and well, I'm even going to play a female musician who leads a band at the end of this podcast. And besides, I've been having so much fun making the list of Sunsign musicians that I'm thinking I may just make playlists to share when we get to Libra season, and I'll have plenty of female musicians to share there. After all, we didn't even follow this template during Libra season, and Libra really is one of the better signs for musicians. Now, the last thing about this song, well, since Cancer is a crab, I thought what better Blondie tune than The Tide is High to start things off with, even if it is a cover song, which I didn't know until I made this episode. Now, if this wasn't enough musical babble to whet your appetite, not to worry. Later in the episode, I'm going to share two clips of me talking about how and why I chose the songs for this month's episode. As I said, maybe it's the wannabe disc jockey in me, but I've been having a ton of fun finding out which sun signs favorite musicians were born in, and well, since Cancer is the first water sign of the Zodiac, and music is all about communicating emotion, I figured this would be a good episode to talk a bit of inside baseball, uh, behind the kit? Whatever, you get my drift. We are going to talk more about the music of this podcast. But first, as always, we'll open with my run-through the archetype of cancer, using knowledge gathered from old favorites Rick Levine, Christopher Renstrom, Judy Hall's The Astrology Bible, and my teacher Kai Pacha, among others. I do my best to point you in the direction of where I learn things from, so you can check these folks out as well. In addition, I try to add my own ruminations on these archetypes to put my stamp on things. Now, originally I was going to read an essay I wrote this spring titled, The Value of Safety Third Versus the Smothering Mother. I wanted to speak to how I saw one of the shadows of cancer emerging in our culture through so-called leaders like Justin Trudeau, who wield safety and, for your own good, like a bludgeon 
and thus embody this smothering mother archetype. Instead, I'm just going to put a link to the essay in the show notes, and you can read it if you so desire. In the end, I hope you never say that I don't care for you, listener, for that would not be the Cancerian way. For now, why not tuck yourself under a blanket of sand on a sunlit, sandy, crab-filled beach? Okay, maybe limit the number of crabs. Those pinchers can hurt. And sit back and enjoy this latest episode of the BNP Realm Podcast. As always, you can find links to all media shared on this podcast and ways to connect with me in the show notes. Okay, let's burrow in. Enjoy the show. Of all the signs, it must be the most triggering to be a Cancer. After all, saying, you are a Cancer, isn't exactly the best way to get on somebody's good side, is it? But let me stop right there before I bury myself under a tsunami of Cancerian hurt feelings and share some good news. You aren't a Cancer. You are a Cancerian. And well, you've got a lot going for you. Cancerians are some of the kindest, most nurturing, most in touch with the emotional nature of life of the signs. And well, perhaps it's only the Capricorn in me that started this segment on a somewhat sardonic note. But really, I do wonder, how many Cancerians, when finding out what their sun sign was, felt a bit put off by astrology based on thinking that one thought, I'm a Cancer? None of the other signs have this issue of their sign also being the word for a life-destroying disease or for even having a second meaning that makes it unclear whether the person is talking about astrology or something else. And considering that one of the shadows of the Cancerian archetype is that it can sort of take things a bit too personally, yeah, it's easy to see why you are a Cancer might rub them the wrong way. Perhaps directly on that soft flesh underneath their hard shell. You know, that very sensitive part of the crab. And for some of us, that very, very delicious part. Okay, okay, I'm still stuck in Gemini season mode, still being the trickster, and it's time to throw off the cloak of humor and dive deep into our feelings. So, as we always do, let's ground ourselves by beginning with Judy Hall's Astrology Bible. Here goes. The glyph for cancer is a crab. Its claws symbolize the clinging nature of this sign, while the glyph also suggests the nurturing quality of the breast. The dates for Cancer are the 21st of June to the 22nd of July. Its ruler is the moon. Its natural house is the fourth house. Its quality is cardinal. Its element is water. Its polarity is negative. Its exaltation is Jupiter. Its fall is Mars. And its detriment is Saturn. Some key words for Cancer include nurture, emotionality, defensiveness, sympathy, Vulnerability, clinging, tenacity, ambition, moody, protective, touchy, clannish, shrewd, insecure, nostalgia, sentimental, and manipulative. Note, is it just me, or are some of these lists leaning more negative than positives, and others more positive than negative? Perhaps that's just the cancer rising in me feeling a bit defensive. I don't know. One of the key words we just heard there was moody, and well, as astrologer Christopher Renstrom said, cancers seem to have multiple personalities, because their ruling planet, the moon, travels through all 12 signs in just one month. 
basically staying in each sign for about two and a half days. As Renstrom said, quote, Now, when you're cancer, when you're waxing, you can be loving and generous, loving and generous to a fault even. But when you're waning, which means the shrinking of the light of the moon, then you can come across as being remote and uninterested. This is something that can throw a lot of people off. They're like, you know, you were so generous a couple of days ago, and now you're kind of remote and different, unquote. I want to speak to that on a personal level. I've been married to a cancer for 18 years, and first, yes, this absolutely rings true. I've even observed these mood changes in a matter of seconds. For example, she can be, well, downright crabby with one of us in the family, and the doorbell will ring, and she'll answer it and instantly transform as though she has been in the best mood all day. It's a kind of superpower, really. I think this speaks more to just how adept cancers are at accessing all emotions if they want to, and it makes me wonder what kind of list of actors and actresses we'd come up with if we broke them down by sun sign. Would cancers be one of the best lists? Returning to the Astrology Bible, with an assist from my teacher Kai Pacha, as well as astrologer Rick Levine, Cancerians are distinctly connected to the past, to memory. This can come across as sentimental and nostalgic, but it's really about being in deep touch with inner feelings in a way that most of us aren't. Kaipacha points out that, quote, Cancer is this point of the personal unconscious, and will be like, I have my feelings. It just comes out of nowhere. You know, two hours ago I was fine. I was flying high. I was having a good time. And then somebody said something that triggered this memory of when I was four years old and what my father did to me. And whoop, something comes up. Something from the past. A memory. Unquote. Cancer is a water sign. The first water sign of the zodiac. And water, in the Jungian perspective, is about feelings. And according to Levine, quote, Water itself is about memory. Water basically takes the shape of its environment, and its environment is really created by the past. All the water signs in some way connect with the past. Our emotions are always in process. They are always changing, but in some way, the emotions always connect with things that happened before. Unquote. Remember, Cancer's modality is cardinal. Cardinal signs are ones that start the four seasons. So we have Aries, cardinal fire, starting spring. Cancer, cardinal water, starting summer. Libra, cardinal air, starting fall. And Capricorn, cardinal earth, starting winter. Cardinal water, then, is accessing those first levels of memory, our personal unconscious, and feeling moved by them. Renstrom says that this gives Cancerians, quote, the ability to stir the waters of the unconscious and everyone they meet, just like Scorpio and Pisces. Scorpio may have the sex appeal and Pisces to the fantasy, but Cancer's pull is memory. It's why people feel an instant familiarity. Your presence puts them at ease like a warm glass of milk or a bowl of chicken soup. Unquote. And speaking of savory chicken soup and warm glasses of milk, Cancer is the archetype of home. Note, I didn't say house. I said home. What's the difference? Well, as they say, home is where the heart is. A house can be just a building, a place to rest our head from the elements, and thus, I think is more aligned with the archetype of Capricorn, a structure that helps us persevere through the depths of winter. A home, on the other hand? Well, that's a place where someone with a warm smile, an enveloping hug, and yes, that steaming cup of soup, is waiting for us, 
and wants to share with us an emotional experience of belonging together. Now, sometimes this can get Cancerians into trouble because they may become too entwined in the emotions and lives of others and lose themselves in the process. This can lead to resentment, mood swings, and then, a classic crab move, withdrawal into a shell. Again though, anytime you hear me start to go too far in one direction, try to consider the positive of this behavior. Sometimes we all need to step back from the world. One of the ways I learned about this relates to that crazy year of 2020. As I was getting into astrology, I was also learning about numerology and the tarot cards. In my explorations, I understood that 2020 was a four year because two plus zero plus two plus zero equals four. What else is the four? Cancer, the fourth house. Now, if you look at the tarot cards, you'll see that each of the fourth cards in the minor arcana has a connection to withdrawal of some sort. In 2020, I heard an excellent mnemonic device on a podcast called Tarot for the Wild Soul by Lindsay Mack. She spoke about how the fours equal a fort and brought up the image of being a kid stuck inside on a rainy summer day and making a fort in one's bedroom where one could withdraw from the world and do as one pleases. Yes, sometimes such retreats are a wonderful, necessary reprieve, right? In fact, the day I started to write this intro, I basically gave myself that retreat because throughout Gemini season, I seem to have been running from one thing to the next and, well, I was just sort of burning out and needed a break. So I canceled my usual Friday AM Zoom call with my writing partner, allowed myself to sleep in, lazily watched some baseball, and didn't even get around to my usual morning routine that I do around 6 a.m. until about 11. On top of that, I took a nice nap in the heat of the afternoon. And, to finish this aside, if ever there was a civilization that needed a retreat, it was ours, and, well, some of us were presented that opportunity in 2020. I often wonder how much we learned from that collective timeout. In my humble opinion, we could use a much slower pace in general for our modern world, but I'm not sure that lesson has yet been learned. Anyway, back to Cancer. Actually, no, that would be ignoring the lesson I was just imparting. Let's stop for a second and take our first musical break. And let's do it with a song that always finds a way to slow me down and soothe me. The first of three tunes I'm going to play from one of the great British rock acts of the 1990s, The Verve. I'll speak more about them in the upcoming segment about how I chose the songs for this particular episode. For now, the title of this track is Life's an Ocean, and I invite you to imagine yourself floating on something comfortable on pleasant seas while pondering just why it is that we're convinced we need to be running around at such a commotion and whether it does distract us from tapping into our emotions. Enjoy.
Okay, how was your swim? Or should I say float? Hopefully it was good. If it wasn't enough, not to worry, we'll play some more tunes from The Verve later in the show. For now, let's get back to cancer, and let's do so by going back to the ocean. In this case, let's go to the beach in those tide pools where our cancerian crabs like to hang out. The tides are constantly rising and falling, and for the crab, this means it has to be finely tuned to its environment to survive. As Rick Levine said, quote, The crab has to be very meticulous in its perceptions, because if it doesn't know when the tide is going to change, it can either be left high and dry, or it can be washed out to sea so deep that it can't get to that shallower area where there's all the nutrients and food. So, the Cancerian person kind of lives in anticipation of change, and yet there's a part of them that wants to hold on to what they have and not change." Unquote. In addition, because of the large pinchers of the crab, Cancerians are not the type to run forward quickly. Yes, they are cardinal water, so they will move, but a Cancerian's movement is going to be sideways or backwards, and this can make it seem as though Cancerians are tentative and withdrawn. But that's just their way of adapting to the environment, keeping on their, um, toes? Do, do crabs have toes? Never mind. Christopher Renstrom ties this aspect of the Cancerian archetype to the ruling sign of Cancer, the moon, and the goddess of the hunt, Diana, who also rules the moon. As Renstrom says, quote, When you are born under a planet which is ruled by the goddess of the hunt, you never approach anything directly, unquote. That's because hunters must be patient. They must blend in with their environment, attuning all of their senses to it and then waiting until the time is just right. That's very much how Cancerians approach something they want. But perhaps most common of all the Cancerian trait is the idea of nurturing. Renstrom has broken the zodiac into three father signs, Aries, the coach father, Leo, the fun father, and Capricorn, the dark or strict father. And he also suggests that there are three mother signs, Cancer, the good mother, Virgo, the mother-daughter, and Scorpio, the dark mother. The good mother archetype, though, that's the one that wants to nurture others. Going back to the crab, a crab has that hard shell, a skeleton on the outside, if you will. And as Rick Levine notes, this means, quote, Cancers build external walls to protect themselves and to give themselves structure, unquote. Again, though, pay close attention to the details of the archetype. While cancers want to create a nurturing place of belonging, at the end of the day, their shell protects themselves alone, and so the danger for cancer is in overextending itself to care for others and to forget that it must care for itself. Codependency can be a real issue for cancerians. Thus, that term self-care you hear about these days? Don't forget that, cancerian. Now, cancerians do have a lot to process, and, quoting Kaipacha, it takes you time to integrate the upsurge of feelings into your ego, and that time is usually well spent alone in solitude. Cancer needs space. They need time alone to process, to integrate. They go into their room and shut the door. Leave me alone. They are processing. They are feeling something, and those feelings are important. Unquote. Then again, don't take it too far. Because you are so in touch with your personal feelings, one of your shadow sides can be to wallow in self-pity, or to be narcissistic. Yet, Cancerian, you are adept at adjusting to the rise and fall of the tides, so long as you keep aware that you matter 
and so does everyone else, you should have no trouble nurturing yourself and others. Now, we've talked in this series about the polarities of the signs, and for Cancer, its polarity is Capricorn. Kaipacha calls this the security axis and says Cancer is the inner child to the elder responsible adult of Capricorn. Caring for that inner child is very important, and it's not something our culture has been very good at. As Kaipacha said, quote, Our Western civilization ignores the inner child, diminishes it, degrades it, and yet, by taking care of our inner child, listening to our inner child, we become emotionally stable, emotionally balanced, emotionally integrated adults, and we feel comfortable with ourselves. Thus, self-acceptance is the real gift that the Cancerian archetype offers all of us. Folks, I hope you haven't made the mistake of thinking, well, I'm not a sun sign Cancer, or I'm not Cancer rising, or I have no planets in Cancer, so none of this applies to me. The true gift of astrology is understanding that all 12 of these archetypes are alive in each of us, and thus can be accessed and worked with to improve our lives. And that's the point of doing this series. Now, before we go, we never did do the correspondences of Cancer from Judy Hall's Astrology Bible, and those are always a good time, so let's end on that note, shall we? Here goes. Cancer's day is Monday. Its number is two. Its physiology are breasts, nipples, the lymphatic system, female reproductive organs, and the alimentary canal. Its birthstones are moonstones and pearls, and its crystals include, but are not limited to, amber, calcite, emerald, opal, pink tourmaline, moss agate, fire agate, dendritic agate, and rubies. Its metals are silver and copper. Its colors are white, smoky grays, green, russet, and iridescence. Ah, iridescence in the ocean. How I love these so. Its animals are, of course, crabs and consistent with the rainy season here in Japan, frogs. Its foods include, but are not limited to, shellfish, lettuce, mushrooms, squashes, melons, foods of high water content, papaya, and cabbages. Its herbs are peppermint, spearmint, verbena, targon, and hyssop. Never heard of those last threes. And its trees are alders, willows, acanthus, and trees rich in sap. Yes, Sylvanus Douglas of my novel, The Teacher and the Tree Man. Of course, Cancerian trees are the ones who are the most sappy. Haha. <laughs> and some of its plants are white roses, lotuses, wildflowers, water lilies, marigolds, chickweeds, honeysuckles, and dog's tooth violet. Those are some fun ones to say. And last, its places include Canada, Scotland, the Netherlands, especially Amsterdam, Italy, especially Venice, Turkey, especially Istanbul, New York City. Is it New York City on all these lists? Anywhere peaceful near or on water, lakes, wells, ditches and springs or marshy grounds, and last but not least, cellars and laundries. Okay, maybe least. All right, we've already honored the Crab's Ocean with our first song, as well as the intro tune. So it's time we honored the ruling planet of Cancer, the Moon, with a song. This one is Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino from the Arctic Monkeys. And as you listen, imagine yourself in a strange lounge in a hotel and casino on the moon, and I think you'll get the vibe. Enjoy. <laughs> 
As I stated in the intro, I've been having a blast coming up with the playlist for this trip through the astrological signs, learning about which musicians belong to which signs, imagining supergroups based upon the signs, etc, etc. So today, perhaps in a case of me indulging my inner feelings in a very Cancerian way, I want to do a bit of a deeper dive into the song selections for this episode and why I chose them. Now, in the intro, I already explained why I use Blondie's The Tide Is High, so I won't say anything more about that particular song. The only thing I will say about Blondie is last year I finally got around to going back through their old catalog, and they had a lot of great songs there too. So, if all you know is The Tide Is High, or Rapture, or Call Me, check out their albums. They got some pretty good tunes on those. Now, the only rule I've had for how I select these songs is that at least one of the members of the bands I use must have been born under the sign that I'm covering. In addition, I really like it when they have music that seems to represent the energy of the archetype, or, as is the case with a few of the tunes on this episode, the songs are actually about the planet that rules the sign. Which leads us to the song we just heard, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino from the Arctic Monkeys. It was the title track of their most recent album, one of my favorites of 2018, and I've always loved the mysteriously unique, trippy quality of that number. It feels very, well, very aligned with the moon. Anyway, I definitely did not expect something like that from this band when they first started out as more of a power pop punk outfit in the aughts. And, in case you're wondering whether I followed my rule or not, the main man behind the Arctic Monkeys, frontman Alex Turner, is not a Cancerian. He is a fellow Cap, born two days after my 13th birthday on January 6th, 1986. However, two of the Arctic Monkeys are Cancerians, so I'm okay. The first is bassist Nick O'Malley, born on July 5th, 1985, and then three days later, guitarist Jamie Cook joined the world. The song that we heard in the middle of the archetype essay was from The Verve, and they had the same situation as the Arctic Monkeys, as their frontman, Richard Ashcroft, is a Virgo, born on September 11th, 1971, but the men responsible for their psychedelically lush, watery sounds, guitarists Nick McCabe and Simon Tong, were born on July 14th, 1971, and July 9th, 1972, respectfully. I'm going to say more about July 9th in the second part of this essay. Now, I was an absolutely huge fan of The Verve back in the 1990s, having discovered their first album, A Storm in Heaven, well before most of my fellow Yanks, and then their follow-up, A Northern Soul, was an album me and my girlfriend couldn't get enough of. And what can I say about Urban Hymns, other than I believe it's one of the elite rock albums of the 1990s? In fact, since nostalgia is one of the key words of cancer, if you'll allow me to tell a story about the one time I saw The Verve in concert. This was in November 1997, less than one week after I had an epiphany at a fish concert that we should boogie while we're young. Anyway, my girlfriend and I went to see The Verve at this amazing old theater in downtown Los Angeles called the Mayan Theater. Yes, the decor is basically a Mayan motif. It's really a great place. So here we were, seeing one of our favorite bands at the peak of their prime in an incredible venue. We were psyched. Meanwhile, I was coming off this high of seeing Fish on the tour opener of what would come to be known as the Fish Destroys America Tour, a highlight in their illustrious career. Yes, everything was perfect, except the snooty L.A. crowd. Despite all that the show had going for it, 
The crowd basically sat or stood there as though no music was happening at all. Meanwhile, my girlfriend and I were getting down the whole time. Even before I had that epiphany, I don't think I went to shows and just stood there. I'm pretty sure I was at least head bobbing or if the music was heavy enough head banging. But this crowd? Nope. Too cool for school. So, when the Verve closed their set with the anthemic Come On off that hit album, Urban Hymns, and Richard Ashcroft does the part where he's yelling, Fuck you! Come on! My girlfriend and I could have sworn he was yelling at the crowd, like, Fuck you guys! Come on! We're putting on a rock show here and you're just standing there like turds in a jar! Fuck you! Come on! Needless to say, we heeded his call and increased our dancing. Anyway, this all leads me to wanting to play a tune off Urban Hymns, probably the one that has long been my favorite number off that album, and well, it has a lyric that I've long loved as well, and I feel it goes well with the Cancerian archetype. The lyric is this, And if we really loved, and if we really cared, think of all the joy we'd feel. I hope this song brings you as much joy as it brings me.
Great tune there, eh? Now, as I have been putting together these episodes, I've realized I've developed something of a template. An intro, then my discussion of the archetype of the astrological sign, some music, and then a secondary piece of put-together media, followed by more music. Sometimes this secondary piece has been an essay I've written or read that I feel relates to the topic. Sometimes it's me diving a bit more into some of the current astrology. And sometimes it's me having one of my mostly improvised chats on the park bench with one of our many friends to dig into said topics. As I was pondering this, I realized that, at least since we flipped over the astrological calendar in Aries season, I've done the park bench bits during the fire and air signs, and now the essays during the earth and water signs. We've got two signs to go, the fire of Leo and the earth of Virgo. Will the pattern remain intact? Stay tuned. For now, I'll just say that since I categorized music as belonging mostly to the water signs, I figured this was a good place to dig into the musical side of this show. Okay, to close the show, well, of course, I have a few more tunes I wanted to play. Just as I did with the Torah Season podcast, where I played a quirky tune by a Torian that seemed to tap into the energies of the next sign, Gemini, this time I'm going to begin our final suite of songs with two songs by a man who was born right at the end of Cancer on July 20th, 1947, and that is the Latin guitar superstar Carlos Santana. First, we're going to preview the fire of Leo with his classic Black Magic Woman, and then we'll pay one more tribute to Cancer's ruling planet by playing his lovely instrumental, Flora de Luna, Moonflower. I think Santana is a great bridge between water and fire, because his music certainly seems to have a lot of both of those elements in it, right? While I don't want to get bogged down in the details of each musician's chart, it behooves me to report that Santana was born just a few weeks before the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Leo in 1947, so that's a lot of Leo energy. Remember, that's the same powerful conjunction we had in Capricorn in mid-January 2020 that kicked off the COVID craziness and what I call the 2020s crisis. In addition, his moon is in Leo, and all of these planets are in his fourth house, the House of Cancer. Folks, we can always dig deeper into these things, but suffice it to say, I think sending off with some Santana, which is music I always associate with my warm days and nights in Los Angeles as I came of age, seems pretty darn appropriate. However, I'm actually not going to end there. After this Santana tune, I'm going to give you another Santana tune, which has to do with the moon. And then, another song from The Verb, the emotionally resonant So It Goes, off of A Northern Soul, the same album that contains Life's Emotion. And then, I said I was going to get to July 9th, didn't I? Well, I'm going to play one more tune from a July 9th musician, but let me explain why. It's all about connections and parallels. You see, back when I was in college, I was the guy in my dorm to discover Nirvana. And combine that with me being blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and from the Seattle area, I became the Nirvana guy. Several years later, that connection was intensified when I went through the same treatment center that Kurt left just days before his death. And people there said not only did I remind them of Kurt in appearance, but in demeanor too. So, as I've been gathering these musicians' birthdays, wouldn't you know it. My wife's birthday is July 9th, and so is Courtney Love's. 
While I was never much of a fan of hers, I think most of her best tunes were likely written by Kurt or Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, and I suspect she may have had a hand in Kurt's death, July 9th has two more heavy hitters in terms of musicians. Jack White of the White Stripes was born on that day in 1975, the same year as my wife, and Adrienne Linker, songwriter extraordinaire from Big Thief, was born on that day in 1991. And speaking of 1991, if you want to know more about what it was like to be a rock and roll loving college freshman in the fall of 1991, when classic albums such as Nirvana's Nevermind, Blood Sugar Sex Magic from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and 10 by Pearl Jam all came out, I put a link in the show notes to an essay I wrote about it titled 1991 Rock's Last Great Fall. If you're a rock music lover like me, well, I put a ton of great links and rabbit holes you can go down if you read that essay, and I think it's a pretty darn good read as well. But getting back to Adrienne Linker of Big Thief, well, I think she disproves my point about fall of 1991 being rock's last great fall. While Big Thief may not necessarily be a traditional rock band, they are still pretty darn great. And there are still a lot of great bands out there these days. I don't ever want to make the mistake of thinking that there's no good music being made nowadays. In fact, one of my goals as I get older is to constantly be seeking out new musicians. So it makes me happy that Adrian Linker was born that summer, just a few months before that fall of 1991, which I celebrated in that essay. And so, if you're still with us after the Santana tunes and one more from The Verve, we'll close with probably my favorite Big Thief song, and one that, well, it fits well with this story I just told, and that is Parallels. Okay, folks, as always, it's been a lot of fun. Happy cancer season, and thanks again for listening.
still here? Even after Octopus's garden, you're still listening? Fine, fine. Maybe you, like me, have a hidden love for that playful little tune. Or perhaps you just fell asleep. Regardless, you're listening now, and well, there's a few more cool parallels I want to share with you. Hmm, which shall I start with? The fun one that explains why I played Octopus's garden, or the more dreary one? Uh, let's get the dreary one out of the way so we can enter Leo season, which is known for its playfulness, on a fun, outgoing note. So, you may have noticed that Richard Ashcroft, frontman of The Verve, was born on September 11th, 1971. Not only was that day in 2001 probably not a very good 30th birthday, it's got to be a bit hard to have your birthday be a day people say with dread. Ah, uh, 9-11... Well, then along comes the frontman of the other band we highlighted, Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys. Did you catch the date of his birthday? January 6th. As I mentioned in the episode, that's just two days after my birthday, and I can actually remember giving a silent prayer on that crazy day in 2021 that those events didn't happen on January 4th. Yes, selfish me. So, Alex and Richard, two artists I love, I feel for both of you. I guess the good news is both of you are Brits, though I believe Alex has been living in the U.S. for a while. Okay, let's move on from the dreary 21st century history books and talk about the Beatles and a fun parallel. You see, Ringo Starr was born on July 7th, 1940, and well, get this, 
The Beatles named their company back in the day, Apple. And well, Ringo is Apple in Japanese. Meanwhile, John Lennon married a Japanese gal and... Wait, <laughs> don't you like this sort of stuff? Come on, man, I haven't even gotten to the punchline yet, which is July 7th, Ringo Starr's birthday. It's the day of the Tanabata Festival here in Japan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're still waiting. Oh, oh, I see, yeah. Do you know what the Tanabata Festival is when we translate it into English? That's right, folks. The Tanabata Festival is the Star Festival. Do you get it? The Star Festival is held on Ringo Starr's birthday. <laughs> okay, if you haven't been getting your bang for your buck from the BNP Realm podcast yet, you cannot say I did not deliver the goods this time around. I mean, really, you just got your first BNP Realm Easter egg. All right, everybody. See you all again in Leo season for more fascinating tidbits. Bye bye. Swim about the coral that lies beneath the waves. Oh, what joy for every girl and boy, knowing they're happy and they're safe. We would be so happy, you and me. No one there to tell us what to do. I'd like to be. See you in an